Are you a developer or conversational designer looking to excel in the latest AI platforms? Or maybe you're in marketing looking for the latest in audio branding and customer engagement. Or maybe you're a startup, a business owner, an investor, or simply want to know about the future of voice technology. Then Voice Summit held in Newark, New Jersey this July is for you. Get your ticket at voicesummit.ai. That's voicesummit.ai. We can't wait to hear your voice and meet you at the conference. Today, you'll hear James Holter interview one of our sponsors for Voice Summit, Voices.com. Enjoy and be sure to check them out at the summit later this month. Well, David, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on Inside Voice this week uh, to talk a little bit about the state of the voice industry through the lens of voice actors, voice casting, and the real audio part of this whole mix. But first of all, I really wanted to delve into your guys' background at Voices.com and where the business came from and take us back a little bit in history of that story of how you guys got started in the earlier days before we were thinking about voice related to smart speakers and smart assistants, but when voice was really much more about the voices themselves. Take us back in that journey. For sure. Well, thanks so much, James. I appreciate the opportunity to tell that story um, my background is actually in audio engineering. Uh, growing up, I was always fascinated with sound and music. You know, my mom put me in music lessons, piano, and uh, even got me a drum kit at one point. And and so, and dad was kind of a bit of a technologist, and often would bring home, you know, either the first laptop I'd ever seen, first cell phone I'd ever seen, um, out of any kind of friends. And so, I was really interested in this intersection between music, sound, and technology. And so, when I graduated from high school, found this audio engineering school called the Ontario Institute of Audio Recording Technology. And it was there where I actually learned how to record, edit, produce, mix down, and, and share files. And it was really in kind of 1999, 2000, which was the advent of the digital age, the modern uh, digital age. And when I graduated, I opened up a small recording studio and uh, recorded uh, local garage bands, hip-hop musicians, classical singers. I actually got my name in the local newspaper on my birthday, which caught the eye of a lovely young woman. Actually, it was uh, Stephanie is now my wife. But her mom at the time saw this newspaper article and clipped it out for her and left it for her on her bed, recommending that maybe she come down to the studio and record her singing repertoire so that maybe she could get some more singing gigs. And so she'd sing at weddings and special occasions and so forth. And so her, her mom was really the matchmaker. But that's where we started working together. Stephanie is the first voice talent. And I was the audio engineer. And because there were that same article, there were other small businesses in the city, a hair salon, an event management company, people that just wanted a floral shop that wanted phone system greetings. And they all wanted a female voice. And so that's how Stephanie and I started working together. But in doing so, not only there was a love interest there, of course, but uh, we also recognized that this was really a good partnership where, as I say, I could be the engineer. We soon put up a website that featured Stephanie as the voice talent. And it wasn't long before other freelance voice talent or voice actors, we kind of use those terms interchangeably, found this website and would always ask us, hey, do you need somebody who speaks French or somebody who speaks Spanish? You know, somebody who does character voices or maybe is more uh, has kind of a corporate sound and is suitable for technical recordings. Maybe it's a corporate training video and so forth. And the question was always, hey, can I be listed on your website? You know, and something to that effect. And we always just said yes. Uh, and before you know it, we had a few dozen freelancers that were listed on what's now become Voices.com. And, you know, concurrently, 
there were clients, ad agencies, video producers, people in kind of marketing department capacity that would say, hey, I found your website. How, and I'm listening to these samples. How do I get in touch with them? Can I hire them for a job? And that was, you know, where the really kind of light bulb went on of, wow, what if we got out of the production business and did a, a bit of a pivot, you know, ceased from running a recording studio and instead operated one of these two-sided marketplaces, which are pretty common nowadays, but going back, you know, more than 10 years, running a platform that you're connecting buyer and seller or, uh, you know, buyer uh, or employer and kind of service provider. That was a pretty novel concept at the time. And we just really drilled down on voice being the vertical market or the service uh, that we felt that we could offer that was really an unmet need within the space um, that we felt that we could do really well. So that's the Genesis story. And fast forward nearly a decade in time, and we're now at the point where Voice.com is, and you guys say it yourself, and I'm inclined to believe you, is the world's number one source for voice over talent. But I can imagine that voice over talent is doing uh, 10 years on in, in that journey is very different nowadays. So what does Voices.com look like today? Well, at the beginning, you know, and as you said, it was really a handful of talent that we were connecting and kind of uh, showcasing on the website. Nowadays, there's well over 200,000, probably closer. What we don't exactly publish is probably closer to three or 400,000, to be honest with you. Freelance talent. Now, of course, not all of them are pro or even semi-pro, a lot of aspiring talent. But the ones that are have full profiles, they're listed in our search engine. You can go on and listen to them. It's definitely an overwhelming number of people entering in the space. And I think that's driven by a couple of factors. One, the cost of the technology has dropped to such a point where somebody with great acting skills, uh, maybe you come from Broadway or theater or some kind of performing arts, or you're a great storyteller and narrator, often kind of teachers or even those that are singers are looking to round out their skill set, you know, kind of part of this mega theme of the gig economy. What else can I do to generate an income doing something that I'm good at, that I know, that I feel like I have the technical capabilities for? And so the talent are joining Voices.com for really a single purpose, which is to find work. And as you say, you know, James, it's interesting, um, as you pointed out, is the nature of the work has changed. A lot of people, you know, we speak to that might not be familiar with, you know, voice tech and kind of as far as it's gotten nowadays, there's this assumption that, oh, voiceovers, I get it. It's like radio and TV commercials. Well, how many of us have like cut the cord? We're not even watching kind of a classic, you know, in a traditional sense, you know, radio and TV, but instead it might be streaming audio or podcasts or audiobooks in terms of long form content. And when it comes to TV, most of it is, you know, might be documentaries, but it's either on, you know, Amazon Prime or Netflix or uh, some type, again, a streaming service. So I think the nature, uh, the output of content is a little bit different, but the theme remains, which is those producers, and I might even go as far as saying those, you know, brands are looking for a voice to tell their brand story. And that's often to educate an audience, inform them of a new product launch or something new that they're doing, or even entertain an audience. And so those kind of educate, inform, and entertain are really the kind of lasting and enduring activities that a human voice actor is going to have a a place in this whole ecosystem for a long run. That's an interesting uh, prospect as we kind of look forward. And I'd love to kind of get your perspectives on this because I'm sure it comes up all the time. But obviously, if you look back over the recent months, We've seen at WWDC this year, uh, Siri being uh, looking like it's going to get some major upgrades, the advent of Google Duplex coming further along. The actual text-to-speech voices are getting better and better all the time, and many startups entering into this space. 
But I'm sure that you would agree with me uh, that the voice talent of a, an individual human and all of the range that you can get out of that still far and away you know, is more diverse and more empathetic in many ways than a synthesized voice. But how much longer do you think that that can be sustained? Do you think that we may hit a tipping point where that's no longer possible? Yeah, I think that the tipping point is definitely on the horizon. Now, is that kind of a horizon one, two, or three? I mean, how far out there? Last year, we successfully raised $18 million for Morgan Stanley, a global investment bank out of San Francisco. And they asked us that, actually, point blank, um, which was, what is the existential threat to Voices.com? It was a prepared answer, which is, it's synthetic voice. The day when the human voice and synthetic are indistinguishable one another, that is the tipping point. Now, having spent a lot of time at MIT and working in kind of their analytics lab, as well as um, some really, I'm just going to call them speech experts, given kind of as they work on this exact notion, even they are saying it's like five years out, maybe 10 years. And there's just sometimes where it's just never going to be a synthetic might not have the human emotion. And so as I kind of contemplated this, I've really tried to, one, I, I think that's a good news story for voice actors, people that are doing this for a living, because they are breathing life into that script. And that's something that's very, very difficult to replicate. And the most kind of foremost speech experts in the world are recognizing, you know, it's at the kind of stage of accuracy before we get into the nuance and emotion. You know, as I say, that's probably, that day is certainly coming. The way I frame this up, though, James, thinking about it in, is in a matrix where you have time along the bottom and on the vertical axis is the, you know, the quality of voice that you might need. And if the time frame of the clip is very short, as in less than five seconds, it's you know, really transactional. It's kind of like turn-by-turn -turn directions and a GPS that's reading out to you. Or it's maybe a kiosk that's giving you some feedback or airport announcements. I mean, this is very transactional in nature. Then you kind of move into informational, where it's a little bit longer. You know, in order to keep a listener engaged, um, you're going to need maybe it's a blend of you know a hybrid between a guided voice with a synthetic, and maybe some of the content might be pre-recorded. But then as you move out, where it's you know longer than a minute, and you go out to like 20 minute training video or a one hour or 10 hour audiobook, no one wants to listen to a robotic voice for that period of time where often a single narrator can perform different characters, different personas, and you really get lost in that story. And so that's why on the vertical axis, the quality or the humanity needs to be at such a kind of high level to invoke all that emotion. It kind of maps out to longer time period, more likely to choose a person, an actor who's a professional that, as I say, can breathe life into the script. So that's how I think about it on that two by two matrix. I find particularly interesting about the increase, particularly for the voice acting industry, is not only the rise of the smart speaker for these interactive experiences. As you mentioned, a lot of that is turn by turn based. Lots of it's short form content doesn't necessarily always necessitate a voice actor to do it. But what we're also seeing, and, and just even this week, NPR's, um, as we're recording NPR and Edison Research's new um, voice report coming out, showing that there's an even higher percentage of people now listening to more audio content, more long form audio content as a result of having smart speakers in their life. Obviously, the role of the thing like podcasting and radio or streaming audio in different formats is becoming more and more a feature of our daily media consumption and habits. And people are thinking about, well, what voices should I put into, particularly for brands, corporate podcasts, corporate content? Um, 
And that one of the real struggles there is around casting voices that are known, uh, known influencers and actors versus just finding someone who has a great voice that represents the brand. So when you guys are advising clients that are coming to you with, well, I want someone to be the voice of this podcast or someone to be the voice of this audio branding in some space. What are the first things that you guys will work through with a client to really think that through? What, where are the first principles in this space? The first principles are really around the, the audience you're trying to reach, the message that you're trying to share, and what specifically is that content. And then matching up, you know, what is a suitable voice for that? And we actually have not only a lot of data on this, but we also survey our customers and really identify these three archetypes, uh, vocal archetypes, that given the variety of choices of voice, it just helps pinpoint. And I'll, and I'll share those in just a moment. But to, as a bit of a setup, you know, a good example of this that uh, this is often repeated here in, in kind of our own internal training is when someone's thinking of a voice, especially one of our clients or a producer, or again, a brand marketer, they hear it in their head, but they don't have a shared lexicon or language to communicate what they are actually hearing in their head. It's very different than graphics where you have color and shape and space and maybe even a font style. How do you describe the sound? And what ends up coming out of people's mouth is we want it to sound professional. Well, that's more of a characteristic of the quality of the recording than necessarily an attribute of somebody's voice or style of performance. Imagine very few people say, I want something to sound unprofessional in that sense. Well, exactly. And so everything becomes professional. So we brainstormed and developed this massive tag list of like all of these attributes. And surprisingly, the ones at the beginning of the list, which were alphabetical, which like believable, you know, friendly, these are the types of things that people are picking. And we thought, well, how do we better structure this data that wasn't just, you know, so we kind of now broke it out into language, which is maybe tremendously obvious. But if my audience is English speaking, I need an English speaking talent. The accent, that can sometimes matter, especially in advertising contexts. Then the age range, it's the target age of your audience. And so we use you know, standard age ranges from advertising parlance, which would be you know, 18 to 25, 25 to 35, 35 to 55, and then that up. And there's a teen age range as well, too, which is helpful. But that isn't quite getting to who you want this person to be and how you want to sound. And so for the who, it's what is the role? Is this person a sports announcer? Are they a political figure? Do you want them to be a, sound like a corporate executive? It's a bit of a stereotype, but at least it's a persona that someone could kind of start to latch onto. And then finally, the style. The often, as I say, repeated stories, This we had a, a theme park in Florida that was looking for a pirate. And as soon as you say pirate, which was one of our roles, you know, are you thinking like from Pirates of the Caribbean? Are you thinking like that scary Davy Jones pirate with, you know, the octopus looking chin and, you know, it's quite intimidating and frightful. And that's going to actually be a certain persona. Or do you want the role to be more of the Johnny Depp kind of goofy pirate? They're really silly. They're over the top. And that is really kind of captured best in, you know, just saying pirate isn't enough because we actually had over a hundred auditions of pirates that were all over the range. In which case the client was like, oh, well, what I actually meant was a friendly, approachable pirate because it was a theme park. We didn't want to scare off the kids. We're like, okay, so we have to introduce this concept of style, which is the how you want them to perform. It's really the artistic direction. And so that's really, you know, again, I reuse the term kind of around a framework of like how we advise clients, which is the same flow when you go to post a job of you're looking for a voice talent. That's really what we're guiding people through is how do you define that selection to really boil that down to kind of three biggies that we see often requested over and over, 
which is first and foremost, this we've kind of called them archetypes, which is the deep and authoritative voice. And you can think of that in terms of celebrities like a Morgan Freeman or James Earl Jones, or maybe a Kate Blanchett for a female voice, or you know Oprah as an example. It's very kind of authoritative. They have a lot of gravitas unto them. After that would be the approachable expert. And this is somebody that you know and trust. It's kind of a guy or gal next door. Might be like a George Clooney or Matthew McConaughey, maybe on the female side, like Meryl Streep or Taylor Swift. Somebody who's you feel comfortable kind of confiding in. And likewise, when they share information with you, you take it as trustworthy. They're kind of giving you the inside scoop. And that's actually one of the most popular. We've identified this theme last year, this concept of the approachable expert the type of people who get the latest version of the iPhone, iOS upgrade or Android software upgrade, and they know all the features, they know how to activate some new feature that's just been enabled, and they're the ones teaching you how to do it. And so it's those type of people that do it in a manner that isn't demeaning or uh, insulting, but it's just like they're giving you information that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And then the third vocal archetype, which we call fun, foreign, and intrigue. It's that a bit more of an exotic voice. It might be, you know, a Nicole Kidman, maybe Trevor Noah, you know, Kira Knightley, you know, again, Hugh Jackman, somebody who's got a bit of an edge on them. They're mysterious. You kind of are drawn into their world and you want to hear what they have to say. And so that's, you know, I think a great place to actually think about at least directionally where you might want to go in in terms of the style and performance. And it really comes down to the brand and the message and their audience that they're trying to reach. If there's a disconnect there, I think the message is probably going to fall flat. It's not just about having a celebrity or just kind of about picking. You need any voice. I think it's finding the right voice for the right message and and the medium as well. I suppose one of the things that I'm particularly interested in, I love your take on this, is as the technology gets better and as the data collection from these smart assistants and different ways in which we access our content grows, we could see a future where we move away from just having one voice for that particular character or persona that, as you've just identified, one of those archetypes, you know, within those archetypes, as you mentioned, there's a lot of difference between a, a Nicole Kidman and a Hugh Jackman through to a kind of Kira Knightley or someone within that one space. They may all serve that archetype, but they're all different voices. And up until now, we've not been able to tailor the different voices that get served to our customers, right? You create a podcast or a radio show or a television ad, it goes out once, same everywhere. But we could see a future where that is possible to do that more dynamically. Are you guys excited by that future? Or do you think that you really do need to bed in a single well-known voice worldwide for it to become something that really sticks in the ear of the consumer? What we've found is that people want to hear from people that sound like them. It is a personalized message, really, is ultimately what we definitely see a future where it could be personalized content. Just like you have, you know, advertising is personalized to you or an experience, whether you're traveling in a hotel or on an airline, that's a personalized experience to you. And likewise, I mean, I'm even making decisions just in my life on which version of the audiobook do I choose? And sometimes even a purchase decision based upon what it sounds like. Um, who's narrating this thing? And, you know, do I subscribe to the podcast or not based upon, hey, do I think I can listen to this person for 20 minute blocks, you know, once or twice a week? Do you prefer the author reading it or do you prefer to have a professional reading it as someone that works in the industry? What's your preference? I prefer professional. Really? Interesting. I mean, unless the author is also a public speaker, which is not always the case, I think sometimes offers, we've just heard of countless stories that they get into the studio and they're like, oh my goodness, this is a slog. Like I got to hustle for four hours in a time block for all week to record my content. And usually again, the rule of thumb is the record time for an audiobook is at least two, if not three times, I think the rule of thumb is three times the uh, record time. 
So if your audiobook, just in terms of a pure word count, we have a word count to time, like runtime tool on our website. You can Google that and find it probably the fastest. But this kind of tool to uh, word uh, conversion tool, you know, you can put in how many words your script is and it'll tell you how long it's going to take at the pace that someone's reading it. And um, yeah, we've just found that, that authors aren't quite prepared for that effort. And where it really comes into play, especially if it's fiction, where there's lots of other characters. But for business recordings, then, you know, yeah, you can get away with it because it's often a personal experience that that author is sharing in those situations. But for the most part, yeah, I, I enjoy a great narrator that knows how to put the emphasis in the right place, that knows how to create pause, that just is a consistent voice throughout the entire duration. Well, as I say, my background's in engineering, so I kind of have a bit of an ear for that and perhaps overly critical, but uh, make those decisions nonetheless. I think there's a lot of truth in that, though, because I've just got finished uh, listening to Brené Brown's latest book, uh, Dare to Lead, where she is the narrator of her audiobook. I think she narrates all of her audiobooks. And, you know, she does fit one of those classic archetypes with an interesting voice, someone that can speak well and someone that you would put into one of your archetypes. You you kind of said there is that kind of approachable expert. So you're right in saying, actually, that sometimes if that person is the author of the content and they embody that persona that you want them to hit, then, then maybe that's a good fit. But I think for many brands out there, kind of probably getting pressure somewhere along the line of, oh, we have an expert that can do that somewhere internally, but they may not have a voice that fits with them. So I suppose that's where Voices.com comes in to help them solve that problem. For sure. A similar analogy would be, hey, would we want the founder of of our organization to be the graphic artist or the voice talent just because they can speak and draw? Maybe their time and energy is better, uh, best spent elsewhere, or maybe the content doesn't really make sense. Corporate training videos necessarily read out by the founder or CEO, you know, might make sense for telling the founding story, but then getting into the technical implementation of, or use of a system, less appealing in that sense. The variety of work that is happening at Voices.com is, is really just staggering. And we've seen that, I'm going to go as far as saying just explode or last probably five years And a lot of it is driven by mobile phones, by YouTube becoming uh, the second most used search engine after Google. There is another company actually just up the road from us called Vidyard, which is a video hosting um, and analytics company. And they recently published a report that organizations, I think, you know, with where employees are over a thousand employees in the organization, so really a large enterprise, they're publishing on average 300 videos a year, which means in effect one a day. You know, more than one every business day, that's for sure. And so the volume of content, and that's feeding into YouTube channels. They might have a portfolio of brands. It's feeding into social channels, whether it's a story on Instagram or Facebook as well, too. And the shelf life of the content is also much shorter. And so those short form videos, and then to complement that, the longer form podcasts that are much more rich in information, that's what we see you know, again, directionally that brands are employing in terms of how to get their message out there using voice. Well, I think that there is a wealth of stuff for people to dig into there, particularly around using their voices in sonic branding. Just to wrap up, as we head into uh, Voice Summit 2019 in Newark, you're going to be joining us with the team in a couple of weeks' time uh, there for the main event uh, and presenting from the main stage. Just share with us a little bit about what it is that the team are going to be sharing uh, when you come to join us at Summit. And uh, what are you most excited about as we head into this year's conference? Well, I think the most exciting part is really just the, you know, I'm going to say a bit of a groundswell of activity just surrounding voice as a voice as a medium uh, for communication. You know, digital audio can either be, you know, or sorry, digital media can either be audio slash voice, video, images, or text on a screen. 
And it's only those four form factors. And so I think organizations are recognizing how powerful audio and voice in particular is to communicate. So speaking with the participants, the attendees, the other partners, that is definitely something I'm looking forward to. And what I'll be sharing as uh, one of the keynote presentations is a the results from a brand sentiment report, which is not only brand sentiment around voice, but also brand readiness, specifically around the adoption of voice apps or in, and technologies for smart speakers. So brand sentiment is kind of where they are and where they have been in the past and, and what they're, how they're thinking about it. And then readiness is your willingness to spend and invest in this space in the next 3, 6, 12 months and in kind of what dimensions and what is the intended use What are you hoping to kind of get out of it? So I believe that those will be very revealing, hopefully very encouraging for the entire community and looking forward to sharing those results. Well, David, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us on this week's episode of the Inside Voice podcast, the show that goes behind the scenes at Voice Summit. And we look forward to welcoming you and the whole Voices.com team when you join us in a couple of weeks' time there in Newark uh, on the 22nd to the 26th of July. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Hey, thanks so much, James. 